This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for April 5th, 2019. In this week's episode, an all-iPad extravaganza with a close look at the iPad Mini, understanding split-screen on the iPad, and multiple user accounts. The Intego Mac Podcast is presented by Intego, makers of security and utility software exclusively for Apple products since 1997. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern, and Intego's Chief Security Analyst, Josh Long. Josh, you have an iPad, don't you? I do. I do have an iPad. Which one do you have? Uh, let's see. Um, I, I got a new one uh, last year, so I, I think I have the 2018 model. Okay, this is kind of disappointing that you don't know which model you have because there is no 2018 <laughs> model of the iPad. Okay, is it well, the it's the 2017 iPad Air. Then. Is it the iPad no, no. without modifier? Is it the iPad Pro? It, it, no, it's the iPad without modifier. And I guess it was probably the, the one that was originally released in 2017, I suppose. Okay. Do you use your iPad a lot? Uh, no, not really. And technically, it's really my wife's iPad. So, <laughs> ah, okay. So it's not even I, yours. So, we, so we have an iPad, and you know, yes. but uh, it's really her iPad, and and mostly it gets used for uh, you know, watching TV shows, Netflix, mostly. So, it, we we don't really use it for a whole lot um, beyond that. It's it's great when we you know, need to be able to access access something on the road and we want to look at something on a bigger screen than on our iPhone. That's about all we really use the iPad for. It's interesting because there are some people who've adopted the iPad for a lot of their work. And, and even I know some people who do most of their work on the iPad. And others, they've got the Mac, they've got the phone, and you've got two Macs, right? If I'm not mistaken, mm-hmm. an iMac and a MacBook Pro, not to mention your old one and your Mac, your Hackintosh, just the ones that you use for work. Right. I've had almost every iPad generation since the beginning. I haven't had every model because there's so many now. But what I like about it is that you're not in a static position. We're we're doing this podcast. Um, we need to record on our Macs. We're looking at each other in Skype, and we have to be frozen here. And the thing about the iPad is that you can move around and you can do things in different locations. I, th- I think you can see behind me, I've got this comfy chair over there. What I often do these days is when I write an article on my Mac, I will then get a cup of tea, take my iPad Pro, I have an 11-inch iPad Pro, and my Apple Pencil, and go sit in my comfy chair and edit it using the Apple Pencil. And this allows me to get a different outlook on what I've written, to approach it differently, and to be in a different position. I, I guess a lot of this is that I work at home, so I need to have variety much more than you. You're moving around, you're going to different places, you're jet setting off to conferences and all that, whereas I'm generally static. Um, But with the iPad, I can do things in different ways, in different locations, and I find that really interesting. So the Apple Pencil is an interesting uh, product. I remember getting the first one three, four years ago, and I didn't do anything with it. I tried it out. I thought it was a cool gadget. But this time, as I've integrated this editing step into my workflow, uh, I use an app called IA Writer. I'll put a link in the show notes to it which is a uh, text editor that has both Mac and iOS versions. 
So I write on my Mac, it goes into iCloud Drive, and it's immediately there on my iPad. And I can quickly use the pencil to um, replace text, copy, paste, etc. And I find that an interesting way to work. Now, I don't think I could work like that all the time. I I don't know about you, but I touch type. Do you type very quickly? Um, Fairly quickly. Yeah, I think the last time I checked, it was something like 74 words a minute. That's pretty good. I'm at 80 words per minute. And and I know that because put a link in the show notes to type it for me, which is an app that when you type an abbreviation, it can expand it. So for instance, um, if I want to type Intego Max Security Blog, I just type IMSB and it expands it for me. But it also records mm. how fast you type, t- how many hours it saved over time. So that's pretty fast typing. The thing is on the iPad, there's no tactile feedback, and I can't type fast at all. I have to type with two fingers instead of touch typing. Yeah, it's it's something that uh, I, I think I, I definitely prefer, greatly prefer typing on a physical keyboard where I can feel the keys. And, and in fact, that was one of the things that made me really skeptical about switching to iPhone when the iPhone first came out. You know, I was used to, uh, I, I used to have Palm Trio phones you know, with the physical keyboard on it, and I felt the buttons, and, you know, I mean, you do have muscle memory, and that's what kind of saves you when you're, when you first start typing on a screen that doesn't have any sort of uh, tactile feedback, um, is, you know, once, once you get to know, once your thumbs kind of get that muscle memory and knowing where to tap, then, it becomes a lot easier, but it is hard at first. One thing that I do on the iPad and my iPhone to save time is I dictate. You know, on the keyboard, you've got that little microphone uh, button and you type that and you can talk to it. Now, this isn't quite the same as Siri, but it's using the same sort of language parsing feature. Uh, Once you know how to do it, then um, you can be really efficient. I'll give you an example. Here's If I I were to send you an email saying that I'm going to be late for um, our meeting, I would say this. Josh, comma, new paragraph. I'll be late for our meeting this afternoon, period. I'll be about 15 minutes late, period, comma, sorry, not comma. New paragraph, best, comma, Kirk. So you have to uh, enunciate the uh, punctuation and the new paragraph and the spaces and things like that. But once you do that, it's got, I wouldn't say it's 95% accurate, but maybe one out of every 15 20 words is is incorrect, but they're easy to fix. It's so much quicker to do that and type a few words to fix them than it is to try to type on a little, I mean, the the little iPhone, it's so small. I can't do that. Right. And I've actually found this to be a really useful feature too. And I, I find where it's most useful is if there's like several sentences that I want to type out. And, uh, you know, I could sit there and type them all out, um, with my thumbs on my, on my phone, or, um, I could just use the dictation feature. And I, I find that for the most part, I can get things done a lot faster if I do that, even if I'm going back and having to correct a few words and and punctuation things or whatever that didn't get quite right. Um, it's, it's still a lot quicker to do it that way than to type it all out. So I brought up the iPad because we've got a review on the Intego Max Security blog about the new iPad Mini, which I bought. And so you've got a standard, I guess, 9.7-inch iPad, the, the medium size. Right. Um, the iPad comes in five sizes right now. The iPad Mini 7.9-inch, then there's the 9.7, then there's the 10.5, then there's the 11, then there's the 13. So they've got a wide range of sizes. Um, and the iPad Mini is... It's something I've liked over the years, and it's not the iPad that I've used the most. 
But it's so light and small and compact, and you can toss it in a bag, and you've got the full power of an iPad uh, that you can take with you without worrying about how heavy it is because the, the other ones, are the, the iPad Pro, for example, is quite heavy these days. Apple just updated this uh, the last time was sometime in, I think, late 2015, and they've updated it with the latest internals, um, the, the second fastest processor. Uh, so it's got the A12 processor, which is the same as what's in the iPad Air. So we've got the iPad Pro line. There's two of them. Then there's the iPad Air, and then there's the iPad. So the iPad Mini comes in around the iPad Air uh, in terms of the processor, in terms of the display. It has the True Tone display, which changes the tint a little bit, depending on the amount of light that there is. Uh, have you ever used an iPad Mini? Um, yeah, I've, I've played with one. I've never, I've never owned one. Played but... with one. <laughs> that doesn't sound serious. It's not a toy, yeah. Josh. Oh, I, I don't know. Are, are you sure it's not a toy? Well, <laughs> you can use it for games. Yeah, but you can do work on it. I suppose I, I just kind of feel like the iPad mini is so close to, I mean, well, okay. It's, it's in between the regular size iPad and the iPhone, especially if you're used to um, a, a Max, which yeah. I'm I'm not to be to be fair, but I feel like the iPad Mini, I don't know. I, I, there's a certain niche I think that they're going for. Yeah, well, you can look at the photos in my uh, review. The first photo that I have uh, near the top is the iPad Mini and the 11 inch iPad Pro, and you can see how much of a difference there is. But then when you scroll down and you look at the iPad Mini compared to the iPhone XS Max, which I have. It's about the same difference between the two, but there is a big enough difference with the iPhone. You know, think of how much bigger the keyboard is. Think of how much wider it is, because what I don't particularly like about the newest iPhones is that they're very tall, as opposed to having a more familiar aspect ratio. The iPad mini would be a good device for someone who needs computing, doesn't want to work on an iPhone, but doesn't want to carry something that's heavy. And we're talking about people using it in the field. Um, but it's also one of the best iPads for little kids who have small hands. And, you know, they try to pick up a larger iPad. It's a lot for them. Right. Yeah, this is something that I've definitely seen uh, used in education a lot. Um, uh, a, lot of, a lot of schools really look closely at the iPad mini, well, for a couple of reasons. One, schools often aren't very well funded. It, it does, in some cases, make sense to go with a smaller unit just because of being able to, you know, fit with the size of, of, of the child if you're talking about using it for younger grades, which I've found, at least in California, typically this the iPad is tends to be something that's used for lower grades. Once you start to get into the grades where uh, kids really need to do a lot more typing, they're writing reports and things, then they start to transition them often to a Chromebook or some, in some cases a, a, yeah. a Mac or Windows laptop. Yeah, because they need to learn how to use it. Uh, an actual keyboard. And one of the drawbacks of the iPad mini is that you can't put a keyboard on it. Apple sells the smart keyboards um, for a number of the other devices. Uh, probably, in fact, all the other larger iPods, all the other larger iPads have a variant of the smart keyboard, but the iPad mini doesn't. You can get some third-party Bluetooth keyboard. You can put the iPad mini on a stand and use any Bluetooth right. keyboard, um, but then it's got to be on a desk and, and the keyboard won't be attached to it. And and that's a fine way of working if you have the space and the flexibility. But if it's students, they need the keyboard to be with the device. Otherwise, things will just get too confusing. Right. 
So I really like the iPad mini. And, and to me, the iPad mini is like a paperback book compared to the normal size iPad, which is a hardcover. Um, I like reading on the iPad mini. I, I like the fact that, you know, you can change the font size. I, I need reading glasses, but if I use my Kindle or my iPad to read, I just make the font big enough so I don't need to wear my reading glasses. It's a lot more comfortable to read in bed like that. Uh, with the new True Tone display, as it gets darker, it's going to shift from that bluish tint to a sort of an orangish tint, which they say less fatigue and you'll sleep better, but I'm not sure if that's really true. But I do find it a very comfortable device for that. Other than that, I'm not a gamer. But this is certainly a fast iPad. It comes with a minimum of 64 gigs of storage. And my previous iPad Mini 4 only had 16, I think. It was like the last one where they were still selling 16 uh, gigabyte devices. You can also get cellular. Of course, that brings the price up. So if you really need it. I think a lot of people don't realize that there are two devices that Apple's making that a lot of people question the validity of. One of them is the iPad Mini and the other is the iPod Touch. And what most people who write about this don't realize is that these are heavily used in industry. I see the iPad mini very often in stores as a point of sale device. In fact, my partner and I were driving someplace and we stopped at a like a service station along the motorway and there was a store in there and you placed your orders on iPad minis that were like welded onto stands. So it's it's a relatively common device in industry. And the iPod Touch is what they use in Apple stores here. You know that hand scanner they have? Well, it's based on an iPod Touch. They don't need an iPhone for it. I I know that there are a lot of warehouses that use these, and you can buy special holders with scanners, with laser scanners that you can put the iPod Touch into. So they use it for inventory. So these are devices that aren't necessarily for consumers, but that they are widely used for usages that that we wouldn't think of. Yeah, they're definitely used a a lot, I think, in in the retail industry for for those exact reasons. I think um, in education, I think there's a lot higher usage um, than I think in, in most industries. Uh, and retail is probably the, the other high, higher one, like you said. I'm not sure if I've really seen it used all that much in other places, though. Um, I'm trying to think of like other you know industries that uh, that really heavily rely on it. Right? And, and nothing's coming to mind. So Yeah, I, I did some research on this a while back, and there are a lot of companies that sell... Um, these cases holders for the mm-hmm. iPod Touch to use in warehouses. Yeah, that could be. So I think it's not the kind of thing we would see. But both of these devices, I think, are are they're inexpensive. Uh, they don't make phone calls because people don't need to make phone calls, and they're easy for people to enter data in. I, I have a friend actually who gave up his iPhone and bought a dumb phone, like a twenty dollar little Nokia phone, uh-huh. uh, and he can get uh, he can make phone calls on that, and he can get text messages. And he bought an iPad mini with cellular to do all the rest of his work because he said the iPhone was too small for him. The regular iPad was too big and he wanted to just get rid of the iPhone as being the all-in-one device. And for him, this was a better deal in terms of his uh, productivity to have a small tablet that's bigger than the iPhone. And don't worry about the phone. If it breaks, it's only, you know, 20 bucks to replace it. Right, right. There's there's definitely a use case for that. I think um, it, it, it all depends on really what you want to use your devices for. I mean, I think that's what a lot of this really comes down to. Um, not everybody necessarily needs a smartphone, although I think probably that's that's the default for uh, kind of if you if you 
you know, are affluent enough that you can afford a smartphone, then uh, I think most people will just pick that before they pick other options. But, uh, but yes, yeah, some people honestly um, would prefer not to have all the distractions and things that come along with having a smartphone. Exactly. And in yeah. those cases, yeah, it actually might be kind of nice to, to just have a, an old flip phone if you can still find them anywhere. And then, uh, you know, get an iPad for other things where you need to, uh, where you would in some cases be using a smartphone, but maybe you don't want to have it on you all the time. The iPad could fill in that, that, uh, that gap. You'd be surprised how many cheap, dumb phones are still sold. Check your favorite online retailer and look up, you know, phones and look at the best sellers. These $20 dumb phones are actually surprisingly common. No, I, I think though, even the dumb phones these days are, are at least running Android though, most of the time. So no, 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 no. You can get dumb phones that are truly dumb. Well, yeah, you, you can, you can, but I, I, I think that even, I, I don't know, maybe it's different in the UK. As far as I'm aware, I think this is becoming more and more the case, at least in the United States where it's, uh, it's difficult to find something that's not at least running an old version of Android. But I, I mean, I know they're still out there. Okay. I have one negative about the iPad mini, and that's the fact that iOS is just shrunken from the larger iPad. And that, of course, is the problem with the um, biggest iPad mm-hmm. Pro, where um, iOS is just blown up from the medium-sized iPad. So on the iPad mini, when you load a web page, the fonts might be pretty small. You can't really adjust the font size for Safari or for specific web pages. You can use reader mode, where you tap that little thing with the lines, and it gets rid of the, the graphics and all. Um, but a lot of the interface can be a little bit small. And this makes it, for someone like me who needs reading glasses, this makes it a little bit hard if I don't have my glasses, if I'm taking this a- out on the road. But other than that, it's a nice little iPad. It's light. You can put it in a big pocket or a bag. And it does everything that the other iPads do almost as fast as the iPad Pro these days. So I strongly recommend it for anyone who doesn't want to spend a lot on an iPad. The iPad mini costs $399 with 64 gigs. The iPad without modifiers, 329, but it's only 32 gigs. And the iPad Air is 499. So this is a good medium price device for someone who doesn't want a big iPad. So let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some interesting iPad features that work on every iPad. If you or someone you know has got a new MacBook or iMac or switched to the Mac from Windows, be sure to check out Intego's new Mac user center. It's a one-stop collection of the things you'll need to know about using your Mac. Intego's new Mac User Center covers plenty of the basics to get you running smoothly and smartly in no time. Of course, one of the first steps you'll want to take is to install Mac security software from Intego to keep yourself protected. And right now, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get 50% savings on Intego software, including Mac Premium Bundle X9. Mac Premium Bundle X9 is a suite of terrific Intego software that includes the antivirus, anti-phishing, and anti-spyware protection of Intego Virus Barrier, home and hotspot firewall security from Intego Net Barrier, parental controls for peace of mind from Intego Content Barrier, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today, and then use the promo code PODCAST19 at checkout to save 50%. That's PODCAST19 to save 50% on complete Mac protection and security with Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9. Intego, devoted to protecting Apple products since 1997. Visit Intego.com today. 
So, Josh, you don't use an iPad much, so you're probably missing out on some really neat features. Have you ever heard of split screen and slide over on the iPad? Yeah, split screen and, and slide over are some interesting features. Um, I think these make a lot of sense on the iPad. Uh, they wouldn't make a lot of sense on the iPhone, and they don't really make sense at all on a Mac. So these are really features that fit very well with the iPad, but not much else besides the iPad. Right. And and what they are attempting to do in some ways is replicate the Mac. So uh, on your Mac, you've got multiple windows. You've got a window for mail. You've got a window for Safari. We've got windows open for Skype now. Maybe you've got messages. And you can set up those windows so you can see them all if you want. Or you can have one next to another and the other's hidden. Um, on the iPad, on iOS by default, you're looking at one window at a time, one app. As you say, this wouldn't make sense on the iPhone to try and look at two at a time, which is what split screen does. Um, but on the iPad, it's really good. It, it's a it's a tricky feature to figure out and to get used to. And I, I've seen a lot of people uh, writing about Apple criticizing the lack of discoverability um, for iOS features. Like most people don't know about force touch if they have a phone that has that feature where you press and hold and you get a little menu and there's things you can do you might accidentally stumble on it by pressing and holding too long and you get this menu and you're shocked because you didn't see it. Then you'll try all the others and see what they do. But the split screen on the iPad is really just confusing. So we've got an article on the Intego Mac security blog and we've got some animated GIFs. Notice I use the hard G when I say GIF. There are two things that you can do. The first is to split screens. And in order to do this, you have to do some trickery. I'm not going to try and describe it here because if you're not seeing it, um, it won't make sense. Um, but you have to kind of swipe up from the bottom of the screen and pull something from the dock to the side, and then it splits. And you can split it at either the one-third point, the halfway point, or the two-third point. So you can have two windows that are the same width, and you can have two windows that are one-third and two-thirds. Yeah, this is, uh, it, 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 again, it's something that I think makes sense if you're kind of trying to replicate that Mac experience on a mobile device. Um, and and the, the idea is that on a Mac, you can pull up two windows side by side, and it's really easy to do that because you can have multiple applications open and, uh, you know, they don't have to take up the whole screen. Whereas on the iPad, the typical default for any app is for it to take up the entire screen. Um, because originally that's really how uh, iOS was designed where, you know, you, you open an app. And you're using that app until you need to switch to another app. And so this idea behind split screen is basically to give you a more Mac-like experience so that you can have multiple windows or multiple apps open at the same time and use both of those apps at the same time. Right. And and there are some very obvious use cases. For instance, um, you're writing an article and you need to look at a web page in Safari. So you open the two of those in Windows. Now, of course, remember that this is half of the size of your iPad's display. So with an iPad mini, it's kind of difficult to read this. But the other is if you want to drag and drop something, and the example in the uh, the animated GIFs we have in this article come from Apple's website. And the example they show is mail open on the left and photos open on the right. And someone's sending an email and wants to drag a photo from photos. There's other ways to add photos to emails. And if you don't know them, it's you tap and hold on part of the email where there's nothing there. You wait till the little black menu comes up. If you're on the iPad, I believe it says photo or insert photo. But if you're on the iPhone, you have to tap the ellipsis to find the insert photo thing. So discoverability again. Uh, another case is you're 
watching your favorite sports team and you want to keep Twitter open, for example, or you're just, you've got a web page you're following and you're checking out something else on another, um, in another app and you want to keep going back and forth. And it's a really practical idea. But when you think about how often we do this on the Mac and how second nature it is, it's, it's obvious this wasn't originally in iOS and they added it, I believe, in iOS 9 because they wanted people to adopt the iPad for work. Too many people who actually do work were saying, well, it's too hard to switch windows. Yeah, I, I have to interject here because... I'm sure people have probably seen advertisements for the Microsoft Surface and you know Microsoft really feels like they're doing this way better than Apple is doing this on on the tablet. Um and you know and and their version of split screen is more advanced in certain ways I think. Um, and so Microsoft is really pushing that hard in their advertisements because they're like, yeah, we, well, first of all, I, I don't think most, like you were pointing out, I think, I don't think most iPad users even know that this feature exists. And so for Microsoft to be really pushing this, I think part of the reason they're doing that is just to say, Hey, we can do multiple apps side by side and, you know, and they're going to get a lot of people, I think, who are really looking for that feature and don't even have any idea that that feature exists in the Apple world on the tablet. So iOS has another similar feature they call slide over, and it's kind of like um, split screen, but instead of the two windows being separate, what you do is you have one window that comes up above the other window. And so think about your Mac. Let's say you've got a window that's full screen, um, your web browser, and then you've got a Twitter client and you bring that up and it's kind of over part of that full screen window. Well, this is the same way that slide over works. This is more for the sports team Twitter thing I described earlier. Um, it's less for doing actual work, and it's easy to get rid of that extra window. It's it's also maybe you just want to call up a window quickly to check something, but it is a little bit confusing. Now, if you combine the two, you can actually use three windows, and I have some screenshots of that. So you have two of them in split screen, and you pull another one up and slide over, and that just gets confusing. And, and I think it's kind of a shame that Apple hasn't done better with these features. As you say, and as I mentioned earlier, most people don't know they exist. There's not even a way, there's nothing in the iPad settings that says, hey, discover this. There should be some way of people learning how to do this. I don't recommend it unless you really plan to work like this often. It's not, it's not a gadget. It's something that you do because you need to. I don't know. You've got an Excel spreadsheet and you're entering data and you need to get data from another thing. And other than that, it's not like the kind of feature you want to have all the time to just have your email in one window and your Twitter uh, client in another. Right. And well, and, and I guess for productivity reasons, too. I mean, uh, there, there are certain advantages, actually, of just having one app in the foreground because it's a lot less distracting. Well, exactly. And th and that's what I like about iOS. And when I mentioned earlier about how I do my um, text editing, um, I like the fact that there's nothing else. There's not going to be notifications popping up because I don't have many on my iPads. And I won't be tempted to switch to another window because there's nothing that I can think of that's there, if if that makes sense. So yeah, it, it's you can you can end up being less productive by using multiple windows and with a single window. Speaking of productivity, uh, one of the great things about macOS, and this has been the case since um, macOS 10 came out in 2001, is multiple user accounts. I remember when this came out, Mac users were not familiar with the idea of user accounts, unlike Unix users. 
um, Linux users um, who'd been doing this for years. I'm sure when Mac OS X came out, you already understood the concept of user accounts. Yeah. Well, in fact, I think I had first played around with uh, multiple user accounts back in Mac OS 8 point something. Um, cause they actually did have, yeah, they had a different kind of user account. Yeah. But it wasn't exactly yeah. the same. They, they, they did have sort of a version of that feature earlier on, uh, before Mac OS 10, but, um, but that was definitely something that, um, became a lot more interesting of a feature. I think once, uh, Mac OS 10 came out. Yeah. And so I remember back in the day, I wrote, um, a couple of eBooks about using multiple user accounts. Uh, because it was so new for people and people were discovering this. And in particular, the fact that the data was segregated, uh, that you couldn't access my account, whereas the early Mac OS 8 version was not segregated. You could access the other user's data. It wasn't like it was walled off. So you were saying earlier about your iPad that's really your wife's, but that you use also, and maybe your kids use it a little bit. And I, I really think that iOS needs multiple user accounts. I've got an article on the Intego Mac security blog about this. I think this is essential for, well, for families. Anyone who's got a family and passes an iPad around, you have to kind of be signed into your iCloud account. You can use it without, but that's a little bit of a problem. And once you give your uh, iPad to someone else, whether intentionally or accidentally, they can check your email, delete it. They can do things to your calendar, your contacts, reminders, et cetera. Right. There are certain things that you definitely don't want, say, your kids to be able to to see or do <laughs> when they're when they're playing a game on your iPad. Uh, maybe you get text messages on your iPad, uh, iMessages, and you don't necessarily want your kids to, to read whatever somebody might be sending to you. It may not necessarily be inappropriate or anything like that, but I mean, it's just not something that they need to see. Um, so there, that's that's one scenario. Like you mentioned, there's emails that come in and a lot of times you have it's set to show the preview when it uh, pops up from the top. There's lots of reasons. Um, another one is... Uh, you know, it would be really nice to have one account on my iPad that I can give to the kids where, uh, it's mandatory, you know, to get uh, some, there's some special extra step that I I would have to go through in order to get, uh, to download new apps or to get an in-app purchase. Well, you can turn on parental controls for that, but if it's a shared iPad, you can't. Right. Exactly. So, so that's that's where it it would would really be convenient in a lot of ways to have multiple user accounts. Now, I, I think one of the reasons that Apple hasn't done this uh, in the past is the amount of storage space that came by default on on iPads. Because before, I, I think I, I, I want to say like in the early iPad days, you could even get iPads with like eight gigs, right? The very first iPad did have sixteen gigabytes. I don't remember how big iOS was at the time. But I do remember that it probably took up maybe a half of the iPad with 16 gigabytes. There wasn't a whole lot of storage for putting things on it. Right, right. Yeah, and th- that's maybe where I was thinking about 8 gigs is because by the time you had the operating system loaded on there, you maybe had about 8 gigs left. Well, the operating system plus all the apps that Apple recommends that you install, like um, pages, numbers, keynote, GarageBand, iMovie, etc. Right. So, I mean, in the early days, and and even up, up until fairly recently, you could still get a 16 gig iPad and not really have a whole lot of storage. And imagine, you know, if you have multiple user accounts and they've all got, you know, their own preferences and maybe they have some different apps and, uh, you know, pretty soon you're going to run out of space. 
and uh, this is becoming less of a problem now that Apple has uh, a higher baseline for the amount of storage that comes on an iPad. Um, and so maybe that's an, uh, one reason why Apple should finally start making this a, a feature <laughs> available to every iPad user. Well, another motivation on Apple's side is that they would rather sell you two or three iPads for the family than just have you get one. But that's kind of short-sighted, and that doesn't keep users very happy and satisfied. Now, Apple has a multiple user system for education, don't they? How does that work? Yeah, um, they they do. It's it's a little bit imperfect, but it's it actually does a lot of the things that we're talking about here. It makes it possible for multiple students to be able to log into uh, the same iPad. So like you could have one class set of iPads and have multiple periods rotate through and have, you know, the same kid is always assigned that same iPad for, for each class period. And so then you might have, you know, five or six kids who are who are using one particular iPad. And it actually really it actually kind of works pretty well. And that's one of the reasons why I'm really surprised that Apple hasn't brought this to the consumers yet. Why is this an education exclusive feature? Um, unless it's like you say that maybe Apple just really wants to, to sell you a second iPad, you know, to give to your kids. Well, I think this means you need a server for the educational system. I'm not entirely sure, but you would have to have some sort of device at home to manage this. You wouldn't be managing it on the iPad, right? You manage it from something else. In any case, for, for a home user, it would be very complicated if you did have to go through another device, if it wasn't on the iPad. Yeah, but I don't know that it would necessarily be a requirement for a consumer version of this. Because, I mean, if you think about it, um, when you log into your Mac, you can easily set up multiple user accounts on your Mac. And you don't have to worry about any servers or anything else. Why can't you just you know, go into uh, this, the settings app on your iPad and create a new user account. I, I don't see what would prevent... Well, it could be a storage issue. Uh, as you said before, um, my current iMac has a 512 gigabyte SSD. My iPad Pro has 64 gigabytes. Um, the iPads they're selling for education generally have 32 because that's the cheapest one. Now, it's true if there's not a lot of apps, there's really not that much storage. If you're storing everything in the cloud... Uh, you're caching files locally. The teachers will have decided which apps are needed. So it's entirely possible. But I'm thinking of a home situation where each person has their own photos, for instance. Each person downloads some videos and wants to sync content to it. Uh, then you end up with some problems. Right. Well, and maybe one solution for that could be uh, that Apple allows you to create multiple user accounts if you have at least a 32 gig or you know whatever base uh, model iPad. Right. That would make sense. All right. Well, this is something that I hope they'll do one of these days. Um, I think even in the enterprise market, this might be useful. There, there are businesses where people use iPads for a variety of things. And, you know, if they're hot desking and they come in and they want to access an iPad without having one that they carry with them, um, being able to log into an account makes a lot of sense. So I guess your homework, Josh, is to sit down with your iPad, which is your wife's iPad, and you'll ask her permission and see how much of your work you think you could do on the iPad. I mean, you could do all your emails and text messages and you could write documents. It gets a little more complicated. Uh, while you can use pages to create you know, more complex documents, it's a lot easier on a Mac. But there's probably a lot of work you could do on your Mac. You've probably got apps that have both Mac and iOS versions or you're using web apps like we use Google Docs to 
you know, keep some information for the podcast. So it'd be interesting for you to try this for a week. I know you're going away to a conference, and if you could take that iPad with you, that would be really interesting. I don't know if my wife will let me do that, but I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll look into it. Okay, until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right, stay secure, Kirk. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to subscribe at Apple Podcasts or in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the online show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software. Intego.com. <laughs>